Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. This is Lift Up Your Eyes. So, how many of you have ever walked around with your head down? How many have ever been discouraged? How many life has thrown you a left hook and a right? (laughs) That hurts. (laughs) Depends on if you're boxing a southpaw or not, right? Uh, So, here's the thing. I want to encourage you today through the scriptures and through the teaching, we need to lift up our eyes. And, and a lot of times what you look at or what you're focusing on is where you're going to go. I remember when I was learning how to drive. And, and, and my driving instructor, you know, he's sitting next to me in the car. And they, at those days, they had like a, a brake that they could use. I don't know if you remember those. They had a second brake put in the car that they could push. And he, he it's like my second time in a car. <laughs> And the guy goes, hey, look at that jogger over there. And I looked at the jogger, and I was like chasing the jogger. Because how many know, until you get a little bit more experience where your eyes go, the car follows. And uh, in life, a lot of times, where you're looking is often going to determine where you're going to end up, where you're going to land. And if you're looking at the ground, you're probably just going to go around in circles or nowhere fast. So we have to learn to lift up our eyes. So I want to show you, you know, I, I started this, if you look in Psalms chapter 42 and 43, I find, it, I find it real interesting. And this is, I don't even know if these are Psalms of David. I think these ones are more the choir director guy who could have been David. He was, he was Saul's choir director for a while. But you know, in Psalms 42, as the deer longs for the streams of water, but he, he goes through this whole little thing where he's talking about Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. He says that twice in Psalms 42. And then if you continue on into 43, he says the same thing. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Whoever wrote this realized something, that in the middle of discouragement, he had to remember who his Savior was. He had to remember where his hope was supposed to be, and he had to look and put his hope in the right place. But so many times we put our hope in the wrong things. We're looking to the wrong things to deliver us, and when they don't, it doesn't work out how we thought it should. Have you ever looked to yourself to deliver you? How many like delivering themselves from their problems? Well, God's the one that delivers us from problems, but he gives you the strength to walk through them and out of them. And you're the only one that can do that. Other people can come and try to drag you along, but they can only carry you so far. You've got two feet God's given you. You have to learn to use them, and we need to start walking in maturity in a lot of areas of our life. Now, Later, my driving instructor explained to me that you have to look ahead to where you're going and let your peripheral vision guide you. Where, where's your destiny? Okay. Whoa. <laughs> December 29, 2019. I've been teaching for a whole year, and you don't know where you're going? 
where is your destiny? Heaven. I heard a few people say it. How many, how many of your destiny is heaven? Your, your final destination is you want to be in heaven with Jesus. Now, if you don't want to be in heaven with Jesus, we'll have a conversation afterwards. Just come see me at the altar and, and you can tell me where you think you're going to end up and what you're going to do and how that's going to look for you. We tend to go by what the scriptures say, so we want to see what they say. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 2, 3, and 4 in a second, but I, I want you to understand something. We have an obligation to control our thoughts and to direct our eyes. Hebrews 12, 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. I'll stop right there for a second. You know, Jesus went to the cross. Why? Not because he was looking at the cross. He was looking beyond the cross. And what was he looking to? You and I. And our freedom and our forgiveness of sin and our ability to walk in the life that he made for us. And the, the way that God made a way for man and God to be friends again because of the blood of Christ. So he endured the cross, but he didn't endure the cross by looking to the cross. He had to look beyond the shame of the cross so that he could get through the season that he was in at the moment. And so many times we get so caught up in the season in the moment and then we fall down and then we're, and then we're stuck. And some people get stuck for years. I've seen people stuck for 50 years or more. Picking up, it says, now he's seated in a place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives in the struggle against him. I mean, how many of you have died? No, almost doesn't count, but I mean, how many of you have died and stayed dead? This is good. No zombie apocalypse in church today. We're all still alive. We haven't died in the struggle. God's preserved us. He's kept us alive for such a time as this. But think about it. If we think of what Jesus went through for us, it'll help us when we're going through what we have to go through. I mean, is there anyone that you never have to walk through anything and your life is just peachy all the time? I don't see too many hands. I mean, some of you have good lives. Most of you have really good lives. And we don't even realize how good our life is, which concerns me because, you know what, we all walk through stuff, but, but there, there's, in that, what's our perspective? So are you looking at your circumstances, your debt, your conflict, the depression, your grief, your anxiety, the feeling that you're not good enough? You ever feel overwhelmed? Is sickness and disease knocking at your door? What are you thinking about? What are you focused on? What are you stuck on? Where are your eyes looking to? Are they looking down? Are they looking up to the Creator? That's the question we have to ask ourselves today. Because it's really easy to get stuck in one of those endless loops. What was that movie we watched? The 12 Dates of Christmas or something? It was a Hallmark movie. It was essentially a remake of Groundhog Day where this lady woke up every day in the same situation and she had, to, she had 12 chances to get it right you know, to fall in love with the right guy instead of the wrong guy. But the truth is, you've got one shot at this life. Let's make the best. You don't get redos. You get lots of grace, but you don't get redos. You can't change what you did or didn't do. But what we can do is receive grace and forgiveness and start moving forward. So what are you thinking about today? What are you looking at? What are you focused on? Where are your eyes stuck? Mark chapter 7, 
I find this very interesting. Uh, Verse 20 to 23. And then he added, this is Jesus. It's what comes from inside that defiles you. From within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. So from within us, sin comes, right? Sin gets conceived in our thoughts. And you have to align your thoughts with the Word of God. If the Word of God is truth and you're not aligning your thoughts with the Word of God, you're going to have a problem with sin. So I remember there was a season in my life when I was in Dallas, Texas, going to school. I was a Bible school student. And I was really struggling with my thought life, right? I was really struggling with my thoughts. I was having a hard time. Uh, I heard Jeff Foxworthy talk about it like this. He said, uh, my wife said, it's swimsuit season. And I said, great, time for a new pair of sunglasses. Some of you men know what I'm talking about. I make sure I have light lenses so my wife can see my eyes because I only want to look at my wife. But see, what happens is if you don't make a covenant with your eyes, your eyes are going to wander places that they don't need to go. And when your eyes are wandering, your thoughts are going to wander. But what are you feeding yourself? See, in, in this case, I was listening to the wrong type of information coming into my brain. I had the wrong music coming into my head. And it was feeding me with all kinds of wrong thoughts and wrong ideas and wrong concepts. And it came to seed in my lifestyle because I was having a hard time driving down the road. And I'd go pray and I'd say, Holy Spirit, why am I struggling with this? And finally he said, change what you're listening to. Stop feeding yourself junk. It was amazing how quickly once my diet of information changed, how quickly my eyes aligned with truth. But what are you feeding yourself? What are you looking at? What's going in? Your eye is a great source of information, but too many people, their eye defiles them because they're looking at the wrong thing. And they don't have control over their eyes. It's not just men. It can be women, too. We look at things that we shouldn't be looking at, and then our thoughts are not aligned with the truth from God's Word. How many know we live in two worlds? You live in the natural world, and we live in the spiritual world. The spiritual world is actually more real than the natural because the natural world is going to come to an end one day. You know that this earth suit's going to die, right? Like we don't live in this body forever. We get a new body. And some of you are more excited about that than others. I really liked my body when I was young because I could go run until I felt like stopping and it didn't hurt the next day. Whereas now if I do that, man... I'm not quite that old, but (laughs) my body doesn't respond as quickly. Christmas Eve, we had those little things up. Did anyone come Christmas Eve and see little Bethlehem and stick your face in the Joseph and Mary and get a little screenshot? And I knelt like this for a couple seconds, and then my thighs hurt for two days. (laughs) That's horrible. The natural world is temporary and going to come to an end one day. But the spiritual world is eternal. And the natural world's going to fade, but the spirit world is not. It's going to continue on. But so many times in our lives, the emphasis is on the natural, the here and the now, and we don't spend time preparing for the life that's to come. We take great care to feed our natural man. I know I do. 
but do you feed your spirit? Is your spirit as strong as your natural man is? Is your spirit as well-fed as your natural man is? Because if you're not feeding your spirit by reading the Bible and praying on a daily basis, you're going to create some problems for yourself. You're going to struggle. And then, see, are you using your spiritual eyes or your natural eyes when you look at life? Jesus, interesting, Luke 6, 20, right before he goes to do the Sermon on the Mount, in the New Living, it talks about he turned and looked at his disciples. In the New King James, where's Pastor Dave today? Oh, he's away. This one's for you, Pastor Dave. He's going to have to watch the, the podcast. Pastor Dave really likes the King James Bible, and I think they actually did a better job of capturing the heartbeat of it. I don't think that the New Living mistranslated it. But if you look in the Greek, it's the word eparas, E-P-A-R-A-S. And it means to lift up. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked at, and then he went into the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus understood this. You can see a little bit later, right before he was going to feed the multitudes. Do you remember when they said there was 5,000 men there and Jesus fed them all with a few loaves and fishes? I remember that. You read about that? He looked up to heaven before he did that miracle. That same word, Eparis, that Greek word. Eparis. My Greek pronunciation is awesome today. Here's the thing. That, that, that's it. Jesus understood he had to look to God as his source. If he would have just looked at the multitude, I mean, think about it. How many of you would like to come up here with a couple loaves of bread and a few fishes and have to feed everyone in the congregation? Come on. In your hand, you have a few loaves of bread and a few fishes, and you've got, I don't know, 400 people here saying, I want to eat. How many say, yeah, that's enough for the front row? He could have looked at it through his natural eyes, and that would have been very discouraging for him because he would have looked at what he had, and he would have looked at the people and said, there's not enough food. I think Jesus was a smart man. He could have figured that out. But he chose not to look at it through his natural eyes, did he not? So what did he do? He looked to God and said, God, you're going to have to get involved here because we don't have enough food. But you have enough food. And he gave thanks, and he started breaking the bread and the fish. And they had more left over than they started with because God did a miracle. But they knew to look to him. I think a lot of times you don't get the miracle you're looking for because you're not looking to God. You're looking at the natural and you're stuck there. You're using the wrong eyes. God has given us the eyes of faith and we have to learn to look beyond the circumstance and learn to look beyond the situation and start looking to the creator who's the one and get into faith. Yeah, Pastor RJ, but I got into faith for five minutes. Okay, six minutes, four and a half minutes. Here's the challenge. How many times does our faith statement and our core belief, they're incompatible, they're inconsistent, they're not congruent, they're not in alignment. We're saying one thing because we're supposed to speak out faith, but our real belief system is something totally different than what we're speaking. And there's no alignment in our life. There's an incompatibility. Has anyone ever tried to drive a car that's out of sync where the pistons aren't firing in the right sequence and they're, you know, they're, they're misfiring? None of you? Man, you guys are more blessed than we think. <laughs> but see, what happens is when your faith is saying this, but your core belief inside you is saying something different, do you think that that core belief is going to drive what happens or do you think your faith statement's going to drive what happens? Your core belief is going to drive what happens. 
Because what you believe in your heart is what you're actually putting faith in. Our minds try to trick us into saying the right thing, but the problem is if our heart doesn't believe it. You know, people come up, we pray for people that are sick. And sometimes people come up, and we can tell a lot of times when we're praying for people. They're saying the right thing, but in their heart, they're not believing that anything's going to change. I can activate faith. Sometimes I'll try to encourage people to get them there. But if their core belief is, I'm sick and this isn't going to work out, and they don't believe that God can heal them, they're not going to get healed. Because their core belief is not consistent with their faith statement. So we have to get our core belief aligned with our faith statement. We have to get the doctrine that we believe in our heart, and we do this by reading the Word of God and building faith. Doesn't the Bible say faith comes by what? How do you grow faith? You read the Word. You activate faith. You continue activating faith. You continue reading the Word. It grows your faith. As your core belief gets aligned with your faith statement, then things start to change for you. <clears throat> Let's take an easy one, and then maybe we'll go to one more complicated. Everyone wants to be rich. How many would like to have more money? Okay, no liars in church on Sunday. How many could use a few extra billion dollars? Here's the thing, and I'm not throwing stones at people, but when people's core belief is, I think I should have some more money, what action in lifestyle are we actually producing inside of our life so that that can happen? Here's a for instance. You might say, I think that I should have more money, but your core belief is going to determine your actions. So do you wake up early or sleep in every day? Do you do simple things like make your bed and tidy up after yourselves? Do you work hard? Do you spend money on things you don't need, such as food, clothing? I mean, hey, I shop at Costco as often as I, or more often than I shop at some of the name brand places. Well, I don't need a name brand shirt. I can get an equally good shirt at Costco for about a third of the price, and it usually lasts longer. I'm not saying go shop at Costco, I'm just using that as an illustration. Shelter, you know, food, clothing, shelter, those things are important. You know your Tim Hortons is not a need. And I know some of you, until you've had that second cup of coffee, you're not very nice to talk to in the morning, but if you went to bed earlier, you'd probably wake up a lot happier. Neither does Starbucks, I mean five bucks. You want to start accumulating some wealth, start by saving $100 and then celebrate your wins. You know, I sit down with people to do budgets once in a blue moon. I don't do it anymore, but I used to. I had more time back then. <laughs> the same 24 hours, I just spend it different. But I remember people would look at me and go, well, I have to have cable. No, you don't. It's nice, but you don't have to have it. We don't even have to have a cell phone for 100 bucks a month. You know, we don't have to. You need food. That's kind of important. You need clothing. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but clothing covers, protects, keeps warm, right? 
clothing doesn't have to have a little sticker on it that cost you $200 because some guy made it, right? But we put our emphasis on the wrong things. I'm not against good stuff. You want to go buy nice stuff, go ahead. But don't whine to me that you don't have any money after you buy all the nice stuff. You can't have both. Well, you can. But that's when you learn to practice the seed time and harvest. And I find that the people that give away a lot of money tend to make a lot of money. You know, love them or hate them, but Bill Gates gives away a lot of money. So does Warren Buffett. They're very wealthy, but they give away a lot of money. I mean, they don't give away thousands. They give away millions and billions of dollars. Why? Because they understand this principle of seed time and harvest. But what are you doing with what's in your hand? What God has entrusted to you now, what are you doing with that? How are you spending what God has entrusted to you now? If you're not a good steward of a little, you're not going to be a good steward of a lot. It's still true. We don't like to hear that, but it's still true. And then sometimes we live in a fantasy world. I mean, look, there's only so many handsome princes in the world. And the rest of you are going to have to settle for some ordinary people that are pretty extraordinary. I know it sounds funny, but doesn't everyone want the fairy tale? My wife got the fairy tale, man. I mean, first thing we did after we were married, we went for a ride in our horse and carriage. True that. So she didn't get a prince, but I got a princess. Now I've got a queen. So you have to understand, there's only so many handsome princes out there. And then there's some that aren't so handsome. Some that aren't so nice. <laughs> Who was that guy? He used to crack me up. Oh, uh, Winston Churchill, you know, never, ever give up. That guy? Okay, but he was a drunk. And one night when he was drunk, a lady looked at him and said, Winston, you're just a, you know, filthy drunk. He said, I understand, but you're ugly and tomorrow morning I'll be sober. I'm going to suggest that while he was great at motivating people, in his character, there was a little bit of a flaw. He didn't understand some things. And I guess that's the part of it, because none of us has arrived. I haven't got there yet. I'm not perfect. I did a little bit better yesterday driving on the highway, and then I let my wife drive, because <laughs> I wanted to work on this a little bit. <laughs> but see... Okay, what can we focus on? How many of you can focus on your health? That God's got you alive for such a time as this. That you have life and breath. That you have salvation. He took you out of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light. You have more food than most of the people on the planet. I assure you, you, eat good. you throw out more food than some people eat. We have clothing. We have shelter. We have family. We have friends. So what that tells me is sometimes we got to start focusing on the right stuff. And then even then, sometimes our attitude needs a little bit of an adjustment. And we need to get our attitude aligned with our core beliefs that are based on the Word of God. You know, you want to be happy? Start smiling more. Start believing the best about others. Stop allowing circumstances to control your happiness. Because if you allow circumstances to control your happy, you're going to be pretty miserable all the time. Because there's always going to be another circumstance. There's always going to be another situation. 
I, you know, I am sometimes horrified when I read about the stuff that people do to other people. And I'm horrified when I hear some of the stories that people have about their journey that, that kind of got them to the place that they are. Horrified when I start hearing that stuff. But I have, to, I have to look beyond that and say, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you went through. It doesn't matter where you've been. God can take you out of that. He can put you on the right path. And as you pursue him, he will produce his glory inside of your life. He will produce goodness. He will produce the glory of God. So sometimes our, our attitude is out of alignment. And what happens is we're trying to focus on the right things, but we've got a bad attitude. Now, how many know and a bad attitude is like when you got something stuck in your teeth? Usually everyone knows it but you. And if you know it, you want to have a bad attitude anyways, and you got a bigger problem because your core beliefs are really messed up. Often your attitude will determine your altitude. Where we go in life often has a direct reflection of the way that we approach things. You know, I have to choose every day that God is for me, not against me. I know that the Bible says that, but I still have to believe that in my heart. But something you don't live like God is for you, you live like God's against you. And your actions and the way that you act, you act like God's out to get you. You act like he's against you, that the world's against you, that everyone's against you. If you're really feeling that way, I'm sorry, but that's not a truth statement. You know, some people, well, I want more friends. Well, the Bible's pretty clear. Start being friendly. If you're, not having, if you're having a problem with friendships, maybe you need to look in the mirror and say, maybe I need to do something different. Just love people. Serve people. Be a blessing to others. Good way to make friends. You know what? There's always going to be small-minded, self-centered people that take advantage of that. There's always going to be people that gossip. There's always going to be people that got something to say. They try to push you down to make themselves feel better. Those people are going to be around. But what are you going to look at? Are you going to look at them and let them affect you? Or are you going to look beyond them and say, I'm going where God told me to go today, and I'm going to do the things he told me to do, and I want to do the things that he's called me to do, things he's asked me to do, I want to say things he's asked me to say, and I want to be a reflector of his glory. You know, you can walk away from that stuff. You can walk out of that stuff. You don't have to let it stick. You know, they say ducks are great at repelling water. Isn't there a, a colloquialism, the water off the duck's back? What does that mean? It means water don't stick. There's something in the feathers that makes it repel. It beads and drips off. But in life, we have to learn through the Word of God to inoculate ourselves so that we're so full of His Word, all that junk doesn't stick. It just falls off. Because it's just weight. I mean, sin will weigh you down and beset you, right? If you get into sin, it's going to weigh you down. It's like anchors on your feet. But if you let the wrong words come in and the wrong people speak and the wrong, if you come into agreement with that stuff, it's going to weigh you down. And then you're going to have a problem in your core beliefs because it's going to be incompatible with your faith statement and then you're not going to see the power of God in your life like you want to see the power of God in your life. 
Sin doesn't just happen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it says, We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Right there, there's thoughts that are rebellious. There's thoughts that go against the word of God. There's thoughts that go against the nature of Christ. We all have them. But the idea in Christianity, if you want the fullness of Christianity, is you wrestle with your thoughts and you capture the rebellious thoughts and you throw them down. And then your enemy is defeated. And then you can be victorious. But sometimes we listen to the rebellious thoughts and then we align with the rebellious thoughts and we're activating faith in the wrong direction. None of you have ever done that. But then you're not looking up to God, the source of life, the source of hope, the source of love, the source of peace, the source of joy, the source of freedom. You're looking down. And you're either trying to save yourself or you're so discouraged you've lost your hope and then you're focused on the situation, the circumstance, the marriage that's not going the direction that you want it to go, the children that are wayward, the conversation that you had at work that didn't go so good. Those are the kind of things that waylay Christians all the time, and they disconnect people from the faith, but really it's a focus issue. What are you looking at? You know, there's some people, you ever see them out there, and nothing keeps them down, man. Nothing keeps them, it doesn't matter what happens, they bounce back. But they've learned something about where they're going to look and what they're looking to and who they're looking to. And, 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 you know, others, situation comes up and then boom, they're out of the race for a while. They're wiped out. They're down. They're discouraged. They're not looking to the right place. We have to help people to look up and to lift up their eyes. Jesus understood this. I mean, think about this. Where does your help come from? Does your help come from within? Or does it come from God? If your help comes from God, who are you looking to for help? Are you looking to yourself for help, others for help? Or are you looking to God for help? Because people are going to let you down. I will. I'm not that good. I might not, but I could. <laughs> See what I mean? We've got to look to him. He'll never let us down. That's what his word says. John 4 is another one. Oh, wait, I'm ahead of myself. We'll go back to John 4. Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You can look to the mountains as a strong place, as a place of security in a time of war. You know, the high ground is great. You know, my kids, in preparation to go watch the new Star Wars, they decided to watch all eight of them this week. <laughs> Got visions of lightsabers in my head. But you know, Anakin, if you know the story, Obi-Wan had the higher ground. And Anakin and his arrogance thought that he could overcome that. It didn't work so good. How many times do we in our arrogance think that we don't have to look to the Lord to deliver us because we think we can do it ourselves without his help? I mean, Jesus in John 11, 
that word, iparis, that Greek word to lift up your eyes? He comes to the tomb of Lazarus. The guy's been there for like four days. Think about it. Guy's been dead. Didn't have the embalming techniques that they do today. Probably a little stinky. Probably decay cutting in, starting to set in. I mean, it doesn't exactly, you know. You don't get snow over there too often. <laughs> it's a little bit warmer in the Middle East. But Jesus looked up to heaven. He lifted up his eyes and he said, God, the one who's going to help right now. God, you're the one that's going to bring, you're the one that's going to do this. He looked up to his father and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Understanding that while he was here, he needed the father to speak the word for life to come back. So as he activated faith in what the father was going to do, there was an agreement. His core belief was God's going to raise him from the dead. He aligned his faith with that. He looked to the right place and boom, all of a sudden Lazarus is alive. Think about that. Now we'll go to John 4. <clears throat> you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. It takes about that long for the seed to grow into a crop. And this is what Jesus said after he sent his disciples into Samaria. Right, right before he went and talked to the woman at the well, he stops at the well, sends his disciples into town to buy food. It, it's kind of assumed that they were going in to buy food, but I, I really think he might have had a deeper plan in that because I think he sent them in to tell people about the message of hope. But they missed the opportunity because of their own prejudice. Because see, the Jews hated the Samaritans because the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. So the Gentiles didn't like the Samaritans and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Okay, so they were kind of these half and half, kind of like me, I'm a little bit of everything. For real, I got a lot of stuff in my history. <laughs> but watch, Jesus sent the disciples into town and instead of telling them the good news that the Messiah's out there, they bought food and got out of town quick. And then they come back out and they're looking at him and they're amazed that he's talking to this woman that he shouldn't have been talking to in their mind. And she goes in and evangelizes the whole city and the whole city comes out. Think about that. She did their job for them more effectively than they could. When I look at missions, I still think that nationals can win nationals much better than foreigners can win nationals. It's a way more effective model as a rule. That said, they come out and Jesus says, look at the harvest, it's ripe. They're looking at the fields and he's looking at the people. I have a question for you today. Are you looking at the harvest right now? Do you know how many people in our culture are lost and dying and hurting and broken? Do you know how many people, no matter their status, they've lost hope? Do you know how many people out there are crying out for a way out? They're looking for a way of escape. They realize that what they've been doing isn't working. The fields are ripe to harvest. There's a county full of people that need to hear the message of hope. But the Bible tells me, it says not pray for the harvest, it says pray for the laborers. 
because the people going out to harvest are few. So when we're talking about harvest, when we're looking at lifting up our eyes, the disciples missed an opportunity to share the good news with the Samaritans. I don't think they were listening to God's voice. They weren't listening to that inner witness. They weren't using their spiritual ears because they weren't tuned yet. I think their ears got tuned. You can see Peter started tuning in, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I don't think it was till Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and suddenly they got tuned and they could hear the voice of what God was trying to say to them because the rest of the time, man, did they mess stuff up. Jesus was constantly after them. <laughs> Guys, listen. Guys, listen. No, this is deliverance. This is how you do it. <laughs> this is how you do it. He was training them. But we have our natural ears to hear, but our spiritual ears have to listen to God's voice. But are your spiritual ears tuned to God's voice? Or are you listening to the music on the radio that's telling you the wrong stuff about yourself and who you are and who God made you to be? Are you listening to the wrong messages coming over the airwaves and the internet and Instagram and Snapchat and any other thing that you do? Because it warps your thinking and you start seeing yourself as someone that you're not and you don't see yourself as an image bearer, you see yourself as a mess. But if we're made in God's image, he's called us to carry his light to the nations. He's called us to carry his light to others. So the harvest is right, but are you doing your part for the harvest? Let's reflect back in 2019. Did I share my testimony with anyone? Did I share the message of hope with anyone? Did I share the gospel of the kingdom? Did I invite someone to church? Did I invite someone over to my place? Did I activate some faith and do some good deeds to neighbors, to friends, to coworkers? Did I demonstrate the love of God? Or did I live just like my neighbors? Did I live just like the world and it's all about me? Because the Bible's calling us to be laborers in the harvest. God's challenging us. Let's look to him. You know, the good news is in the kingdom of God, it says some plant, some water, and water 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 and some harvest but we all get the same reward and the thing is you never know when the seed that you're planting is going to bring forth a harvest when you plant the wrong seeds it produces a harvest usually at the most inconvenient time for you but when you plant the right seed it provides a harvest that is eternal. But are you sowing seeds of love? Are you sowing seeds into people's lives? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that question. But the truth is, what are you doing with the treasure that God has placed in your earthen vessel? Are you hoarding it for yourself? Or are you taking the great treasure that you have, the message of hope about Jesus, and are you extending a hand out to others? Are you being a blessing to others? Are you taking the life that you have and are you giving it to others? Because God has put people in your path. God has put people across your path. Everywhere you look, there's people that you can be a blessing to. You know, I was thinking about it. 
this isn't even my first career. <laughs> I was in petroleum, and then I was in banking. I also did a little bit of construction for one summer. <laughs> Abysmal failure. Not for that reason. Uh, that whole work hard thing, I worked pretty hard, but I was partnered with someone that didn't. <laughs> who I didn't know was telling my boss that I didn't work hard. Um, you know, I, I did some mover, moving company. And you know, everywhere I've been, whether at the gas station and petroleum, whether at the bank, there's a common thread. We're all humans and there's all kinds of people looking for hope, looking for Jesus. And it doesn't matter if you're hammering a nail next to a guy, putting up some siding, if you're processing checks at a bank, if you're on the line somewhere, it doesn't matter. If you have the joy of the Lord and the peace of God on you, people will notice that. And when hard times hit their life, they'll come talk to you, especially if you're friendly and welcoming. You know, you can go into a restaurant and be a blessing to someone which is a good time for me to remind you, if you're gonna say grace and bless your food and make a big scene to bless your food, make sure you leave a good tip. And if it was bad service, just tell them, hey, I wasn't really happy with the service, but I'm still gonna bless you. Because sometimes Christians leave a tip. Thank you, God bless you, here's the message I hope, but no money. That doesn't help that waiter or waitress pay their bills. It's a great thought, but if you're going to do something like that, leave a nice tip. They'll receive the message of hope a lot more when you leave a little bit of money with it. See, we're salt, we're light, we're difference makers. There's a harvest out there, but are you a harvester? Are you a laborer going out into the harvest? Well, I like to send people, Pastor RJ. That's nice, but that's not what the Bible calls us to do. It tells us to send people, but it also tells us to go. It doesn't say there's senders and there's goers. We're all to go into the culture and take the message of hope that we have and share it with others. Am I rocking your theology a little bit on that one? Let's read our Bibles. So Jesus, he knew to tell people. Some of you can predict the weather, weather better than the Spirit of God speaking to you. And you're not that good at calling the weather, are you? Even the weathermen aren't, especially around here. I feel bad for those guys. But is God speaking to you? What's God telling you? What's he, what did he speak to you this morning? Were you even listening? Did you even take time to listen to what God had to say? Or, no, I'm going to church and the preacher's going to give me God's message for the day so I don't have to listen to God personally. The harvest is at hand. Are you listening? Stand up with me. And as we're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper in a second, I want to encourage you. If your eyes are looking down, you need to look up. If you're discouraged, let's look up to the Creator. If things aren't going how you want them to go, let's align our inner belief with our faith statement and trust God that we're going to see the miracle that we're looking for. He's the way maker.
life, the truth, and the way, the Bible says. So some of you might fall into that category I was talking about earlier. You're not sure about heaven. You don't know that you want to go meet God. You don't know if you even believe in God. The Bible says that God loved the world so much he sent Jesus to earth to die for you, to die for your sins, because sin separates us from God. If you want to receive forgiveness of sins, it requires repentance and faith that Jesus paid the price for your sins. At that point, God takes us out of Satan's kingdom, puts us into his own kingdom, and we become born again. We become a new creation. We, we get a new nature, and we can have hope so that we can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit when he speaks to us so that we can navigate life with much greater success. If that's you, or if you've never had a chance to be baptized since you professed your faith in Jesus, when I make the call in a second, you can come down and join my friends over here, Nathan and Angie. But as we're going to go into communion today, if you need to change your focus because you've been looking at the wrong stuff, or maybe God's speaking to you about being a harvester and you've been a little complacent in that and you haven't been sharing faith with the people God's asked you to, maybe that hasn't even been on your radar, you don't have to arrive to share faith with others because otherwise you're never going to get there. We have to allow God to work through us in our imperfect state with all of our flaws to be a lifeline to others. So if that's you and you need to change your focus or you need to get a little bit more active in winning souls, I'm going to ask you to do something out of your box and come down here and join me at the front. And as a point of contact, when you come down to the altar, I'm expecting that your perspective is going to change. So if you haven't been looking at the right stuff, just, it's okay, don't worry about what the person next to you is doing. Just come on down. There's more of you in here that need to change your perspective, I assure you. I talk to people all the time. Don't be shy and don't be afraid. There's freedom for you if you just activate faith. Whether winning souls or whether just learning to look up. And if you come down here with me, make sure you look up. Let's not look down. It's not a time to bow our head and run. It's a time to look up. God, help us. Because, God, you're the one that can change things inside of my life. You're the one that can change relationships. You're the one that can heal marriages. The end of 2019, last couple days, we thank you for the covenant we have with you and your faithfulness to us. God, I thank you that you've delivered us from sin and sickness and disease. You've healed us from our brokenness. And, Lord, I ask that moving forward we can look to you we can lift up our eyes and we can see you in all of your glory. And Lord, for the complacency in the area of winning souls, I ask that you'll forgive us for not sharing when you've prompted us to, for not reaching out a helping hand when you've encouraged us to, that we could tune our spiritual ears, that we could hear your voice as you speak to us clearly today. And Father, because brokenness of Jesus made a way for us to be whole. We can trust you with our life. Mind, natural man. Emotions, our mind, our will, our emotions. And our spirit, eternally with you today. So Father, I release freedom. And I release hope over every person here today in the name of Jesus. We will look forward to seeing you next week as we talk about the Great Awakening. It's going to be a fun service.
And God bless you. We'll see you all next time.